and yielding. And this is what I'm feeling for when I first put my hands on the horse, a sense of yield, because I want that horse and that horse to know that I'm not asking anything of him or her. I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological. Something that I time and again come back to is this idea that nature is trustworthy. This is not a poetic, dewy-eyed sediment. It's what I've noticed over the years of practicing Chinese medicine, that nature is trustworthy. What's more, if I didn't think this was the case, I don't think I'd be able to continue the practice of medicine. I've learned over the years that nature has its own rhythms and ways, its moments of ascendancy and development, as well as the backside of that cycle, which includes dissolution and decline. It's a curious time to say that nature is trustworthy, given the way the coronavirus has mixed itself into politics and our exonervous system, aka the internet. But in the time I've practiced Chinese medicine, I've rather come to this idea of the intelligence of nature. I wouldn't be able to, with a sense of confidence and honesty, open my doors and invite patients in if I did not believe that nature is indeed trustworthy, because our medicine does, in fact, rely on the natural cycles of growth, decline, of arising and falling, of activity and quietude. Our modern world seems to have this idea that medicine is something we do to people, ideally without too much involvement from them. It's a war we wage against microbes. Medicine offers a promise that the cycles of life and death can be avoided. You know, I'm all for less suffering, but I wanna be cautious about sedating our way into a lack of feeling, masking over what is asking for expression and forcing the body into a deeper imbalance in service of getting something we want we're getting rid of something that we don't. I keep coming back to this thought that death and suffering is not the enemy. That how we live with all the beauty and terror of this world and how we embrace or deny the gifts of this world along with the sacrifices that go with being a thinking, feeling creature aware of our limited days and all that that entails, it's actually a gift. Even as everything we are given is at some point taken away. I keep coming back to that nature is trustworthy. Even when it doesn't give us the child we want, even when it twists our bodies with age and disease, even when it sends disease throughout our world, nature is trustworthy. But that does not mean it's not dangerous. I've heard it said that people always, always have a positive intention behind their actions but that does not mean that their intentions toward you are positive. Some of us sell transformation as part of our services, but transformation is rarely pleasant. It looks good on paper. The idea that the world will be unrecognizably different and better still means that there is a chasm of disruption and change. Disruption is rarely comfortable. And like any pilgrim's journey, the person who starts it will not recognize the transformed being who completes it. Us humans, we look for meaning. We need it like we need food. 
or water or air, but meaning is generated through the human experience of living through the troublesome grindstones of heaven and earth. I'm not a pessimist. I wouldn't be able to practice medicine if I was. And I wouldn't say I'm a realist, as that too often is a way to justify our biases and beliefs. So I keep coming back to a central mystery of clinical work. Are we here to fix or to accompany? Is our work about repairing or restoration? Nature is as brutal as it is beautiful. I often hold the question of how to invite all of that into the practice of medicine. These geological conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Need to fill up the appointments created by late cancellations? Jane can help with that problem. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, listen for a special offer from Andrew Sturman on Diet as Medicine and the folks at Blue Poppy share some thoughts on the safety of herbal medicine. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. Hi, folks. I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit mayway.com to find the perfect plum flower brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore whenever you need a break. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies, and enjoy bits of Chinese culture. This month, we're focusing on the treatment of various skin concerns like itchy skin and stubborn acne. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our skin health formulas this month too. Just visit Meiwei.com. This season and every season, trust Meiwei for your health and wellness needs. And as always, thanks for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. Change is never easy. This is evidenced by the fact that the scales weighing the number of people on the green side of change versus the number of people on the old, hard-on-the-planet ways of doing things are still way out of balance. Our planet is suffering, but our profession has an easier way to shift the scales. The founders of AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles started with a great needle and then created our industry's first eco-friendly packaging and reusable accessories. They also give back to nature by planting trees. I encourage you to challenge yourself to make the change. Ride the wave of spring yang chi and make the switch by joining me and the multitude of colleagues who made the change. Now you can celebrate Earth Month in April with pride knowing that you're helping us to tip the scales of planetary health towards a greener, healthier, and healing planet. Visit www.acufastneedles.com to get on board. You've probably already heard me here on the podcast share about Jane, my favorite all-in-one practice management software that helps you to run your practice online and 
manage no-shows. The team at Jane understands that life happens, and sometimes that means your patients are unable to make their scheduled appointment. If that's the case, a quick and easy way to fill those unexpected gaps in your day is by utilizing Jane's time-saving waitlist management features. You can take advantage of automated SMS text or email notifications to notify eligible waitlisted patients that there's an opening so they can easily scoop up an available time. If you know you're ready to sign up, you can mention the show or use the code CHEOLOGICAL for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. Visit jane.app to get started today. I love the opportunities I get to speak with people like shiatsu practitioners who work through embodied connection. And in the same vein, spending time in conversation with those who work with animals. In both of these situations, we are reliant on experience that does not fit within words. In a moment, we are going to get into a conversation with Sam McLean on presence and touch in the care and treatment of horses. Our mental models and theories are useful to a point, but the presence and connection that comes from embodied encounter, that is something else yet again and worth bringing into your clinical work. Okay, I suspect all of you listening right now have had the experience of presence, connection, and stillness with an animal friend who has a corner of your heart. And this is another one of those conversations that is best listened to in a moment of quiet and perhaps a cat on your lap or a dog at your feet. You'll be invited into some moments of quietude. So best not to be operating heavy machinery like a automobile. Go get a cup of tea, settle in, and have a listen. Sam McLean, welcome to Geological. Oh, thank you, Michael. It's an honor. Well, I'm, I mean, truly the honor is all mine. I so appreciate that practitioners, just regular old practitioners, you know, people busy in their clinics or in your case, in your corral and barn are you know, mm. willing to sit down with me and talk about the work that you do. There's just so much, I think that practitioners learn but nobody knows what they've learned because no one's sat down for a conversation. You're not like running around the circuit saying, hey, I want to tell you all about horses. Well, I, I do do that. but <laughs> So tell us a bit about your work. You First of all, I want to say this. I, I love talking to shiatsu practitioners because they work with their hands so much. Mm-hmm. I love talking to some of the veterinarians that I've talked to because they also use all these senses that have nothing to do with human speech. Mm-hmm. A deep part of our work. And I think that many acupuncturists also are drawn to that aspect of our work that is nonverbal. And, and so all y'all's like you, that that's your stock and trade. I just, uh, I'm just so appreciative to have an opportunity to uh, dig into this with you. Oh, well. I'm happy to be here and happy to talk about it because it's one of my favorite things to talk about. We're so lucky to have work that we love. Well, and for me, this is totally new. I mean, I, it's been new for me to do this. I spent, you know, 25 years in nonprofits in corporate America, just slogging away, making a buck. And, um, 
I just am the luckiest person ever to be able to now do this at my late age of 58. Well, some people would call that mid-career. <laughs> I hope it's mid-career. I do. So what were you doing in those 25 years of slogging? What did your life look like? What was your work? Uh, you know, um, I'm my career is like a cat. I had many, many lives. Um, nonprofit world, corporate world, fundraising, uh, integrated marketing communications. I was a fitness instructor for many years um, back in the late 80s, early 90s. Um, so, I mean, I've done and, and so many things. It's crazy. Um, and then a couple things happened. I went through a divorce, uh, got remarried, um, couldn't find a job, and then had an accident at the top of a mountain that put me on my back for about six weeks. And that really makes you go inward. Mm-hmm. Or can. Yeah, well. You, you, it sounds like you took it as the opportunity. I, I did just because I, I had nowhere else to go. I didn't have a job. I was newly married. Um, and I kept journaling and listening. I can't even tell you how many different people I listened to. And the word touch kept coming on all of my pages. And I then when I was healthier, I just kind of followed little nuggets along the trail. And it was touching horses. I had no idea it was going to be this, but here I am. <laughs> I was talking to a friend earlier today who is in his sort of mid-late 20s. And I remember my mid-late 20s as well. Like, what am I doing? Like, who am I and what am I doing? And, and yeah, and to be able to talk with him today, you know, like really he's in the throes of it. And, and I hear you talking about this at whatever age you were at when that happened, right? We can still be in the throes of it at any time. And then you kind of pick up these breadcrumbs. If you happen to be able to see them, you follow this. It's like there's a scent on a trail. Follow it. It takes you somewhere. You had no idea it was going to take you there. Totally. How did you trust that? Oh, that's a really good question. Uh, again, I kind of go back to I had, I had nothing else. And I, I've been practicing meditation and developing my spiritual side for many, many years. And so um, I took it as an opportunity. And fortunately, my husband, bless his heart, also took it as an opportunity for me. And so I was really fortunate that way. And I, I did exactly that. I, it's just one little breadcrumb. And I promised myself that I would be open to those breadcrumbs. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't deny them. I, I would just take that very next step. And um, whatever felt, whatever kind of captured my heart when I, I felt that um, resonance, with my heart, then I knew it was the right next step. When I felt at peace in my heart, I knew that was the right next step. And it was crazy how once I took a few little steps, how things just happened that I never 
would have expected. In fact, the whole reason I even got into acupressure was because of that. I followed a couple little breadcrumbs. I was desperate to be around horses. And so I begged a barn owner to let me groom her horse. And while I was there, I was noticing a woman who was coming in regularly doing what looked like massage on horses. We became friends. She was the one who said to me, you, you could do this. You should do this. And I was like, no, no, no. I, yeah, I'm a marketing person. And she's like, no, you really should. And so I got the book. I looked at the book and I'm like, and, and I have had acupuncture. I love acupuncture. It's gotten me out of horrible car accidents, shoulder dislocations, and a major depression. Um, but looking at this book for horses, I was like, ugh, I just don't see it. But after I started looking at it, then I thought, oh, I'll just call and see when their next training is. And it turned out that their training was coming up in, I can't recall, but let's say three weeks. So soon, and they had one opening. So I was like, okay, guess what? I'm going. So I just kept saying yes. And I remember coming home after the first day. And it was like a two and a half hour drive. Um, and I cried the whole way home. I just knew, and I even get emotional now thinking about it. I just knew that for however hard this was going to be, this, I just needed to do this. Yeah. You know, the interesting thing about a path like you're describing, regardless of how hard it is, it's not about hard in a sense. It's like, okay, there's challenges and there's things to learn. It means you get to go deeper. I, I suspect the hard path is the one you actually don't want to be on. Oh gosh. I was on hard paths before. On They're path. yeah. horrible. Yeah, yeah. Horrible. No, this was, I sh you know, I shouldn't say hard. It, it was, it challenged me, but I, I love challenges. Um, and it, it forced me to learn something that um, I never expected to learn. And I'm not, um, you know, looking back, I'm not a great learner. What I don't know how it was with how do you. you know you're not a great I'm learner? probably a little older than you, but I'll, <laughs> I'll bet I'm older than you. I'll cite you on that one. Um, <laughs> back when I was in school, um, there weren't eight different learning styles. It was one learning style and you either memorize stuff or you didn't. And I'm a horrible memorizer. Horrible. I did not realize until recently that um, the way I learn is a combination of visual and kinesthetic. And so, yeah. No, you do what you so do. So probably now. the closest thing I had to that earlier in my career was when I was in the fitness industry. Um, but even that, it, it wasn't the same. So now, uh now I, now I know. And I, and so when I hear young people 
and children um, struggling with memorizing. Um, I just, I have so much empathy and I just want to yell to the rafters that, you know, not everybody has to be able to be so proficient at memorizing and still have a really valuable, worthy life that, um, you know, serves others. So. Absolutely. Oh, much so. You know, and yeah. I, I think there's more recognition of it these days. When I got out of high school, I remember graduating from high school and I thought, <laughs> glad I'm done with that because I hate learning. That's what I thought. I thought I hate learning. And what I didn't realize until mm -hmm. a little later when I realized that I actually love learning is that I didn't like the learning right. that we were doing yeah. there or what was considered learning there. But learning, being able to follow your curiosity, being able to, you know, do what you did. I did it in a, in a certain sense as well of there's this inquiry mm -hmm. that like pops up inside of us mm -hmm. and we just want to know more and you don't right. know how you're going to do it. And then like stuff starts yeah. to show and up. I, again, I just, I feel so lucky. So, so lucky. Were you interested in, I mean, were horses a thing for so, you? Um, so where, I where don't have the typical horse story because a lot of people who do what I do started riding horses at four and they were, you know, in the 4-H or pony club or blah, 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 blah. Um, I, um, my family moved 14 times between birth and the end of high school and, um, all over the country, East Coast, West Coast, Chicago area. Um, and I only knew horses because I seemed to attract friends who had horses. And I loved horses. But I, I had no idea people actually took lessons with horses and things like that growing up. I always just knew horses as you get on a horse bareback and you run it around and race as fast as you can and you brush it and clean it up and love all over it. That's all I knew about horses until I was an adult and then like to go horseback riding on, you know, vacations and things like that. But the one constant for me and horses was through my dreams. I always had dreams of a white horse and me taking care of a white horse and riding a white, I mean, anything, there was always a white horse in my dreams. Oh yeah. You did have horses. You had horses in a very profound way. I mean, you didn't own a horse. You happened to be connected to people who were resourced to horses. They showed up for you. And then you had horses in your dreams. And I love what you describe about all I knew about horses is you jump on a bareback, you run them around as fast as you can, and then you love them up. Well, yeah. I mean, what else is there to know about horses? Well, there are a lot of people that would tell you otherwise. But um, so, so yeah, so I, you know, at first I thought, nobody's going to accept me. You know, I don't know a thing. And and so at the age of 50-ish, 
I dove into horses. I, I would muck stalls. I would do anything to be around horses. I took lessons. I watched every video, purchased every training thing you can imagine. And kind of, I, I reached a little bit of, oh gosh, this is not what I thought it was going to be. Something, something is so different. And I can remember one of my trainers said to me, you know, you're just too soft with horses. And I remember that was a big trigger for me because growing up, I had heard that from some of my teachers. I had heard that from a social worker at my high school. That you were too soft with horses or just too soft? No, that I was just too soft. You were too soft. Too soft. Yes. Yeah. Too soft, you know, kind of an implication of you're, you know, too Pollyanna kind of thing. Um, and so when, when a trainer said that to me, I was like, huh, that is really interesting. And somewhere along the line, I remember someone saying, and I've heard, I think I've heard you say this on your podcast, that you, sometimes our biggest gift is something we perceive as our biggest weakness. Oh my God. Um, I might've said something like that. I, I'm pretty sure I, I will look it up. <laughs> I, I might have, I, I would not disagree. I mean, I would agree with you. I, and, and one of the ways that I would say it is that sometimes our greatest superpower is also our greatest trouble. Okay. So no, that's, excuse me. Yes. You use superpower, which I really like that too. So that, that kind of caused me to step back and reevaluate um, how I was with horses and then kind of allow for this um, acupressure with horses to come into view a little more clearly, along with other very soft modalities uh, for horses like myofascial work, like Reiki. So there it is, that softness. There, was actually, there actually is a lot inside of that softness. And it's led you to the work you do. So does it turn out that those critiques that other people made of you, oh, you're too soft, were they wrong? Were they partially right? Is there a place where that fits? Or was it something that's like, actually, no, that's not part of what I do with horses? Really great question. It's a little bit of both. And I, if I put myself in that other person's shoes, the way... Um, they were raised and the way they learned how to be with horses to be safe, to protect yourself, to not get injured, to have a lifelong career owning, a, a, you know, a boarding facility and serving these beautiful sentient beings with their guardians. Um, that is how many people in the horse world would definitely, yeah, would see that that is legitimate. And I can totally understand that. Totally. And I, I believe that for years. And yet now I know there's another way. And fortunately, there are more and more people 
I mean, I'm on the bandwagon super late. There are some amazing people out there who are on that forefront of helping horse people understand that, you know, there are other ways of being with horses, training horses that do not involve force. Hello, everyone. Andrew Sturman here. I've been working with clients in Chinese medicine dietary therapy for over two decades in New York City. My focus is beautiful, simple, delicious, and health-supportive home cooking. Good meals can be inspired by the strategies of classic herbal formulas so that each meal is infused with medical intention from appetizer to dessert. This requires an understanding of the energetic properties of grains, vegetables, meats, fruits, and more, and knowing which foods are moistening, drying, building, clearing, warming or cooling, as well as their directionality. I've organized these teachings in my two-volume book series, Welcoming Food, where you can learn this theory, practice it in your own kitchen, and love doing so. See the positive reviews and incredible testimonials from practitioners and patients who've brought this material into their own kitchens. Welcoming Food Books 1 and 2 can easily be found online, and if you'd like to follow me on Instagram, where I'll be posting cooking tutorials, you can find me at Welcoming Food. Back to you, Michael. Thanks very much. This, to me, is one of the beauties of how we think about things with Chinese medicine, because there can be a very yang aspect, which can be very appropriate in certain situations, especially if someone has that kind of a character, that would be appropriate. People that are more yin or have access to that more yin receptive aspect, well, there's room for that too. That may not, but often with the yin, it's not as easily seen as the yang. The yang is very expressive. Yang, look at me. Yes. Yang is kind of, let me show off here. And yin is, these are not the droids you're looking for. Don't look behind the curtain. It's not the horse trainer you're looking for. Yeah. <laughs> and so you naturally have that and you've gravitated to these ways of working. Which is also why when I sat down, so I opened my business two years ago. And when I sat down and thought about who, it, you know, I get to put on my marketing hat, right? Yeah. Well, but, it, you know, honestly, I have to say it's way harder to do it for yourself than to do it for somebody else. Holy cow. I would agree with that. I would absolutely agree with that. But imagine how hard it would be if you didn't know how marketing Yes. Works. No, that's so true. So yeah. true. Yeah. But when I thought about you know, who's my ideal client? What would their story be? My, I knew immediately my ideal client was not going to be someone trying to cut 10 seconds off their barrel racer. Not happening. My ideal client is a female, probably 45 to 75, who's been around horses long enough who has learned that the best things about a horse is the connection between the horse and the guardian. And that gift of being in the heart space is 
more precious than anything. In having this conversation with you, I, I, I have up till this moment thought of horse owners. That's the way that I've heard it referred to. And, and I hear you talk about horse guardians. I hear you talk mm -hmm. about lovely, amazing, sentient beings and their guardians, the people who care for them. Mm -hmm. and, and what sounds to me a protective and reciprocal relationship. From my point of view, yes, I think that's the way it should be. I do. I, again, I used, I used to say I owned my horses a couple years ago. I don't say that anymore. I don't own them. Like I, we live on property. I don't own the trees on that property. I don't own the snow that's on my ground right now. I don't own my horses. It's funny how synchronistic these things can be. The other day I was thinking about ownership myself. I can't remember the context, but I, for some reason, the word ownership went out of my mind and the word belonging came in. So like this house, I live in a nice house. It's like the nicest house I've ever lived in. I, I can't believe I live in a house like I live in. It's this cool mid-century modern house. I love mid-century modern. I can't believe I actually live in one of these damn things. And, and there's this part of me that goes, yeah, it's like, you know, this house belongs to me. And, and then it's like, no, this house is older than me. Mm -hmm. This house is built like a brick shit house. This house will be along after I'm gone. <laughs> Way well, after you. I belong to it. Maybe we belong to each other. But there's an aspect of it doesn't belong to me. I belong to it. My family. I belong to them, my community, people who listen to the podcast. It's not my listeners. It's a community that we belong to each other. And so this, you know, it's like working with patients, right? It's like, am I fixing my patients or am I helping them to something unfold? The healing that happens, it belongs to them. So I, I love hearing what you're talking about here, this kind of relationship of, I'm going to use the word stewardship. Mm -hmm. You yeah. know, originally I think they called it husbandry. Right. Right. Which, which is not, again, we could think of it as ownership, patriarchy, all that whole thing, or we could think of it as sense of belonging to something. The responsibility comes out of the belonging. Yes. I love that. I wrote down belonging. That's a beautiful word. Definitely. Because it is reciprocal. And when I, when I first go to a horse, the first thing I do is ask the horse if I can work with him or her. Because permission, I mean, you know, when I go to my acupuncturist, you know, I'm giving her permission and the horse's guardian is giving me permission. But here is this magnificent being who research more and more is telling us has, you know, amazing emotions and more facial gestures than dogs do. Wow. Let that sink in for a moment. I mean, the horse, so our, you know, if you believe in chakras or energy fields, you know, our energy fields can maybe be three feet or so. 
horse's energy fields can be 15 plus feet around them, their energy field. They are, uh, we don't even know how amazing these creatures are. It's amazing what horses can intuit, which is why we're starting to see so many therapy programs working with horses. So tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing with these horses. And, and, and I, I think, yeah, just tell us a little bit. And, I, and I'm especially curious about this like belonging and listening piece that it seems is so central to how you've approached horses ever since you were riding them bareback and loving them up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it usually starts with the guardian calling me and uh, I'm not a veterinarian. I am so fond of my veterinarians and so the, usually the, one of the first questions I ask is, you know, have you talked to your vet? Because I, what I do is not a replacement for good veterinary health care, medical care. Um, so sometimes uh, they may say, no, I was kind of hoping that maybe you could come out and take a look first. And I will usually, you know, if... If it's something like he's um, super lame on his front leg, or I think he might have a fever, it's just, there's no way I'm going anywhere near that. So they get the vet out. A lot of the vets in the area I'm familiar with, they're familiar with me. And so they get to give the okay for when the horse is ready. And then when the horse is ready, I kind of go through an interview with the guardian, trying to flush out a lot of the information that an acupuncturist might from their clients, trying to understand, you know, their, a little bit of their constitution as much as the, the owner might understand it and try to get a feel for if the horse might be a little more wood, a little more earth, a little, you know, the f- different elements. And then we set up an appointment. And um, when I show up for the first time, I like to see the horse move, walk, trot, canter. I'm looking for patterns. I'm looking at the eyes, you know, is the horse kind of glazed over? Like he's been doing this way too long and he's exhausted and ugh, here's another, you know, whatever. Or is he, you know, he's got that Shen look, that bright sparkly eye, um, you know, looking at his coat and his mane and his tail. Um, I'm really lucky because my clients poop right in front of me. So they don't lie about what their poop looks like and their pee. You know, so I'm, I'm taking in all the information and uh, since I'm not a veterinarian, I don't diagnose, but I do try to look for patterns. Um, sometimes the vets will on their write-up, if it's uh, a vet who's trained in acupuncture, they might tell me what their diagnosis is, but I still 
like to look for myself and try to pick up patterns. And then, and then after all of that, then we try to find a place where the horse is comfortable. doesn't matter. I can be anywhere. I go out, you know, in down to 15 degrees, I'll work on the horse. So I'll go wherever, wherever the horse is comfortable. And then I put my hands on the horse for the first time and um, I listen and I, I, I couldn't, I had a hard time describing what this was until just recently. And I have to credit you. Um, I need to credit you so many times because I've learned so much from your podcast. And because I listened to Tamson Granger's conversation with you, I begged and pleaded her to let me participate in one of her classes on death. And she, she talked about yield and the concept of yield. And I can't remember Hiro. Oh, I can't remember his name. Oh, Hiro Tahata and yielding. And this is what I'm feeling for when I first put my hands on the horse, a sense of yield, because I want that horse and that horse to know that I'm not asking anything of him or her. I'm not asking them for me to ride. I'm not asking to be driven. I'm not asking to put a bit in your mouth. I'm not asking for anything. So I'm, I'm sensing, I'm listening, feeling, tuning into my hara, and I'm feeling for that yield, that nervous system to come down. And only when I feel that shift will I then continue. And sometimes it takes a little while. So this is lovely. Uh, for me, one of the most challenging aspects of listening with my hands, which is something I'm very drawn to in the work that I do, I think because I'm not very good at it, very mental sort of character. And so I'm very drawn to the unmental aspect, shall we say? It's not easy. I love what you say about not asking anything of the horse. You don't want to put a bit in its mouth. You don't want to take it anywhere. And I think about how often, and I've had teachers tell me this, like when you put your hands on someone, have no agenda, zero, no agenda, which is hard because people come to us because they want to feel better. As a practitioner, we want them to feel better. It's hard not to have your own sense of self and accomplishment and everything else get tied up in that. Of course, we have to suspend it if we're really going to be helpful, but that's a constant, almost meditative practice. Oh, let that go again. Oh, there it is. Let that go again. So hearing you talk about approaching the horse with no agenda, I'm thinking for myself, yeah, I can go in tomorrow morning to my clinic and put my hand on somebody with no agenda, or can I? I mean, it's a worthy practice to walk in and have no agenda in my touch. 
That makes sense. And, and I love the word, too, of yield that you speak about because I, I, I have some experience with this where there is that moment where things soften and there is sensing, but it doesn't quite fall into a conceptual thinking space just quite yet. There's this very in-between moment and ye- the word yield just through for me. It's, yeah. Yes. Yeah, I'll I'll send you a link to this article that I found. Um, it it just it was so powerful for me, um, and it, I I agree that the the word yield is is very powerful, and uh, you know, not surprising, it comes from a shiatsu practitioner. As we were talking earlier, I love talking to shiatsu practitioners. They they have such wisdom in their physiology. Oh gosh. Seriously, give me 10 minutes with Tamson. I I would be renewed in multiple ways. She is just an amazing being. Sounds like you already have and she didn't even put her hands on. <laughs> I, know. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Okay, so here, um so you bring something up that I have been pondering on. And I apologize. I've listened to so many of your podcasts and they all kind of run together now. I can't recall who said what, but in one podcast, um, I, I can't remember who it was, but that they were talking about the difference between when someone perishes and when someone dies. And I remember you keyed in on that. So I I just listened to this in the last month. And I I was searching on the internet for this. And I found one tiny mention of it in a document that I, I read every single night now. It was online. It was a blog post from an acupuncturist. Um, I'm not sure if I should say her name on here. Um, Go ahead. Her name is Erin Moran, Moran. And the title is The Practitioner-Patient Relationship, Wisdom from the Chinese Classics. Now, I will admit that I've tried to read the Neijing. Yikes. Yeah, it's not but, easy. So, I mean, sometimes, sometimes moments of it will get illuminated by our experience. Mm, well, so this is basically notes from a seminar by uh, Father Claude Lar, who studied in Beijing and Shanghai. Um, he's at the University of Paris or was at some time. And um, Elizabeth Rochat de Laval. Anyways, so they've taken different sections of the Neijing and they have talked about their interpretations. And in here is this lovely section and it talks about perish versus die. But for me, the piece that I keyed in on had to do with the struggle between intention and attention. Tell me more. (laughs) Because so I, I was trained through a lovely um, program called tall grass 
Animal Acupressure Institute. And the two founders, owners, their lineage of Chinese medicine comes from the Qi Institute in Florida. And then after I graduated from that program, I got really interested in the five elements and started studying with my teacher, Susan Tenney, um, who's at, she owns Elemental Acupressure. And off and on, I hear people talking about your intention when you're on a point. And the intention is the most important thing. And then I would hear, it's not so much about intention, it's about your attention. And this talks about what you just said. Again, the, our conversation today is incredibly synchronistic because I've had a number of conversations recently. And the word intention has come up again and again in many of my conversations recently. This is also something I have been curious about, at times struggled with, at times attempted to ignore, at times took my head at and gone, oh, that's some new age mumbo jumbo. It's like, well, you know, the most important thing is, is intention. And saying, well, what does that actually mean? I could say, I'm intending to go have a hamburger tonight. And is intention like wishful thinking? Is intention hoping? It, it, I mean, it's one of those words and I hear it thrown around a lot and I go, what does that really mean? I mean, I'm being honest with myself. I'm like, what the hell does that really mean? Yeah. And increasingly what I'm hearing is exactly what you were saying. It's about a quality of attention. It's not trying to make something happen. Mm -hmm. Being attentive to what is here, which is not the same as nothing. And, it, and there's like this thin line between hoping and wanting and holding this space of attentiveness that we might find a way to be helpful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One of those experiences, I think it's easy to talk around it in many different ways, but because it is not an experience that lends itself to languaging or concept, Right. We can talk around it, but any words that we put around it are not the thing itself. We're talking about a facet of it. Right. Right. Yes. That's just my sense. That's my work, current working hypothesis. Yeah. I like that. So let me just read what I did find one piece in here. Um, it says, um, so this is the interpretation. Um, it says, you must not be blocked in yourself or full of desire to heal. You have to just do your best very quietly and then let go. You must not have inner agitation or desires, even the best of desires. If you do not have desire, then you have a real relationship with the patient and are not forcing the patient to correct his spirits to please you. If you are quiet within, as you must be while doing calligraphy or archery, you will do, do good healing work. And every time I read that, I, I get goosebumps because I think 
and I just had an experience of this because um, I have several clients who are Amish horses. And I really struggle when I'm with the Amish horses because I have this deep desire to A, try to gather them all up into my truck and bring them home. But since I can't do that, my next deepest desire is to give them as much comfort and care as I can. And there was a particular horse, this was just last week, that I was on the verge of being distraught over. And I could feel my desire to heal. And I, I don't like to use that word. I don't see myself as a healer. The, the horse heals himself, herself. I just, I'm the messenger to say, hey, remember, you've got this liver over here who really likes to move chi around. Maybe use that. But with this particular horse, I, I just had so much desire to help this horse. And fortunately, I felt it in my body. I felt this stagnation, this block of energy in my body because I wanted to help this horse so much. So you could feel your desire to help as a stagnation that got in the way of doing the actual helping. I know a thing or two about that. I, I suspect those who are listening to this conversation right now might know a thing or two about that. You know, on a bad day, it ends with us complaining about our patients and our work and, and all kinds of other things. There's Yes, there's this really curious, paradoxical, seemingly paradoxical experience of having to get out of the way and, and be that empty. Yes, I, I love, as, as you spoke about it from what you just read, and I've heard this in other parts of the tradition about being empty, you know, like, like the bamboo reed that becomes a flute. That's, I mean, it's a beautiful image, and it's true, and it's simple and not easy. Right. Yes. How do you get out of your own way with that? Because, you know, we're human, and, and we also want to be of help and service, or we wouldn't be doing what we do. How do you get out of the way? So for me, this is where personally my practice with Reiki has been so helpful. I, I was able to take a moment, walk to the other side of the barn, focus on my hara, do some Reiki breathing, get myself regrouped and go back. And so uh, th that's just wor what works for me. Start again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. And horses, probably more so than people, are very forgiving, very forgiving. And so I just say... Can we start again? 
Two basic misconceptions stand in the way of people feeling comfortable using Chinese herbal medicine, even as they are feeling more positive about acupuncture. They are concerned about safety as herbal medicine is an unregulated industry and feel herbs are not effective to treat most conditions. Blue Poppy is committed to meeting all FDA safety regulations. All of their herbal products contain minimal or no filler to maximize potency and efficiency. Their granules are carefully manufactured in GMP-certified facilities, and every batch is tested multiple times for pesticides, heavy metals, and microbial content at the manufacturer and by SGS Laboratory, a Swiss certification and inspection company. For over 20 years, Blue Poppy has made quality and safety manufacturing standards their biggest priority, resulting in exceptionally effective herbal formulas. Their years of experience provide you with the best possible herbs so your patients have the best possible outcomes. With free shipping and free drop ship service on orders over $50, Blue Poppy should be your favorite place to shop for herbs. Use the code CHI2024 to receive 10% off Blue Poppy products on your next order. You know, I, I think about any long-term relationship where you've had an argument or a misunderstanding or some difficulty, and and that's kind of the place where you eventually end up, right? Mm-hmm. Like, okay, <laughs> the, this this kind of went that way, and I'm mm-hmm. sorry about that, and let's start again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's. I mean, as an acupuncturist, first of all, I just want to say that it, it's lovely that you're doing the work you do. I do the work I do. In many ways, there's crossover. In many ways, they're very, very different. Um, but in many ways, there's a huge amount of crossover. And it's it's lovely to be able to have this kind of a conversation from like two different sides of a shore, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that piece about recognizing, ah, let's just start over. I sometimes have this experience where I'll put a few pins into somebody and I'll realize that was a good idea proven wrong by reality. <laughs> I have to take them out. Yeah. And start again. I've had that. I've had t- two of the most beautiful acupuncturists. I love and adore them. And at different times, I've had them do the same thing. They start with one thing and they're like, ah, oh, you know what? Mm. I, I don't think we're going to do that. Never mind. Okay. So it's easier with animals. <laughs> You're more forgiving. <laughs> yes. And I'm also thinking about that practitioner part. Again, that being empty of, okay, how can I shake this off? I'm, mm. I'm attached. I've got a agenda. And we were just talking about the importance of showing up with no agenda. Right. No. And that's, oh gosh. You know, again, it, I, I have it way easier because I, I can try a lot of different things. And sometimes it's acupressure. Sometimes it's twena. Sometimes it's a little shiatsu. Sometimes it's trigger point. Sometimes it's myofascial. Some, I mean, you know, I've got a toolkit. I can whip out all sorts of different tools. But the good thing with that is the horse will never lie. 
the horse has no capacity to lie or fake it. So if the horse doesn't like it, you know. Mm -hmm. And the horse isn't going to say, ooh, well, yeah, that's painful, but that's okay. I can take it. <laughs> right. The horse would never say that. Yeah. No. So the feedback that you get is more trustworthy in a way than the feedback we often get from people. Absolutely. Well, you know, I, I wonder about this, though, because, you know, we're learning so much right now about trauma, about the nervous system, sympathetic, parasympathetic. And, you know, some of the same things that horses do when they're moving in and out of sympathetic, parasympathetic, and they're releasing yawning, pooping, peeing, shaking, you know, the um, big sighs, stomach gurgling. Those are also things that I know I have done in acupuncture when I've been getting acupuncture or after acupuncture. And I, that I can't fake. I, I can't fake an all over body shiver. It goes like a wave through you and, and generally leaves a, a sense of sort of calm well-being afterwards. Mm -hmm. Yep. But horses will shake where humans will try to look good and hold themselves immobile. So there's that. I want to go back to this yielding for a moment. Mm -hmm. And I, I realize that this is an experience beyond concept and words, but we're stuck with words because this is a podcast. So I'm wondering if you can talk a little more about that sense for yourself, maybe give us a, a glimpse at some of the facets that, uh, that make up that experience of yielding. So for me, this actually stems from my myofascial training. My teacher, um, so the myofascial training that I went through comes from the John Barnes and Mark Barnes myofascial work. And their trainer, Tamara, is amazing. And she describes it as placing your hands on wet sand. Mm -hmm. And so when, now she doesn't use the word yield, but I, I, would, I would put it here. When my hands yield, it's, I guess that you could say sand or maybe like a warm clay where your hands just sink. So that other body, you're not, I'm not pushing, that other body is receiving me. So it's like when I first get on a massage tape, so I have to go through to physical therapy for a shoulder issue occasionally. And when I first get on the table, I'm like lying on my back, super stiff, right? Because my body's prepared for the onslaught of what I know is coming, what I, my mind thinks is coming. And I'm not yielding at all. And it usually takes me a while to yield to that table and allow my body to be received by that table. But since I'm working on horses, I don't have a table. So my hand is that table. 
So I'm asking the horse to receive my hands, if that makes sense. I love the image and the feel of wet sand. Warm, wet sand. Yeah. Ooh, warm, wet sand. Okay. Ooh, even better. And, and my first thought was, oh, it's, it's like sand, but it's a little bit moist. And that's one kind of a sand. And then there's a sand that kind of retains some water within it. It's, it's, it's like a, it's a fluid infused sand, mm -hmm. the kind where if you just stand in it, you'll naturally start to sink down a bit because the sand yields to you receives you very soft way it receives you yes and so that i mean that's like the fluid matrix of the body right right i mean like there it is it's it's wonderful having an image that i can go to because then i can get the feeling of what that is then i can let the image go the body is that fluid matrix. I mean, we already know that. Well, and who, another one of your podcasts, who said, was it Chip? Somebody said, your hand isn't like water. Your hand is water. Chip Chase. Chip Chase, yeah. Yes. I love that. Yes. Yes. I, I frequently think that somehow you adding this piece of wet sand gives it a whole different spin for me. I'm very curious to take it into clinic mm -hmm. and see what shows up. You have to let me know. Yeah. Um, so thank you. So again, I, I feel so often like dead wood with my touch. It's something that I have been cultivating ever since I was in school. Uh, partly because, I, I mean, I know people that are like naturals at it. For me, it's it's been a long, long study, but it holds my attention. I just can't quite let it go. There's, I don't know, it's, it's like sometimes there's, there's things that we're really good at and we can just kind of do them without thinking. And then there's the things that we're just not that good at. Mm-hmm. Dang it, I don't want to let it go because I feel like there's something in it. If I'll just work it long enough mm -hmm. or let it work me, maybe. Right, right. Hmm. So this is really, really helpful. Yielding. So the language that you use with the horses, I suspect every pet owner already knows a little bit about this. The way they touch their dog, the way they hold their cat the way, you know, even parents and children for that matter, mm -hmm. you know, there's so much communication that happens through touch. Uh, thoughtful communication and inadvertent communication. I mean, if you think about, we so often touch the people we love in not so very thoughtful ways. I mean, if we all thought more about that and were more aware of how we touch each other, that would make a big difference. I think you're right about that. And it's not a bad practice if you're a practitioner. 
and it would certainly be good for our relationships to bring that mindfulness. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I, th- I do think though that sometimes there's something about a pet, you know, especially a pet that you can have in your house on your lap. Um, and you know, studies have shown that people with dogs and petting a dog will reduce blood pressure and there is something disarming about petting a pet and having that really intimate attention with a pet because the pet is not going to usually, unless it's a cat, reject you. And so I, I, I think probably people are a little more like that with their pets than even their, their loved ones at times. We do ask a lot of our loved ones, don't we? <laughs> we do. <laughs> yes, we do. Oh my God. Well, it's hard to believe that an hour has already slid by. Has it really? Oh my gosh. Wow. Such a delightful exploration with you. Anything else that you'd like to share with us about horses or touch or healing hmm. before we wind this down for today? Um, hmm. Not that I can think of. I had a couple questions I was going to ask you, but... Well, go ahead. Um, no, so I, I did write down yield, so I'm glad we could talk about that. But I've been really thinking about chi lately. I mean, I guess I, I always think about chi. But it's just when I think I understand it, then I realize I have no clue. And I've been thinking about this because I was taught, you know, before you put your hands on the horse, you bring chi into your hands by causing a little friction. So I was doing this the other day before I started working on a horse and I looked at my hands and I thought, is that the chi or is that a result of the chi being in my hands? And so it's just gotten me thinking about all of my kind of preconceptions about chi. And I think one of the first email conversations we had was on my aha moment with Daniel Keown's book. And um, so I'm just, I've, I've been really thinking about Chi lately. So I would, I would love to get your take on Chi. Like, how, how do you describe it? What is it to you? I don't even attempt to describe it anymore. Hmm. I, I don't think it's anything that's easily nailed down. You know, the, the first line of the Tao Te Ching, Tao Ka Tao, Fei Chang Tao, the Tao that can be spoken is not the true Tao. Mm-hmm. I think Qi is a very similar thing. Anything that you can say about Qi is an aspect, a piece of Qi, but it's not the full expression of Qi. If you look up the character Qi in a Chinese dictionary, you'll see all these biomes that go with it. So like Tian Qi means like sky mm-hmm. or weather. Okay. Mian Qi is like a complexion of a person, like face chi. Chi shows up in all kinds of places as a kind of spirit or movement, invigoration, a, a, a something, a something essential. 
Mm-hmm. I don't think we can quite pin it down. It's like many other things that we've been speaking about today. There are we can catch a glimpse of it, usually from the corner of the eye. And so I would say that any definitive definition of chi misses mm-hmm. the point. Which is very horse-like, I might say. How so? Because horses are are prey. They're not predators. So we as humans are predators. So, you know, we walk in straight lines. We do everything in straight lines. And um, horses um, have this big, vast spectrum of sight. So they'll catch you out of the corner of their eye. And they, they can see a lot. I mean, way back here, even. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so that's, it's very... Very horse-like. Very horse-like. And when I think about synchronicity, which we were speaking about earlier in this conversation, mm-hmm. synchronicity is always the thing that I catch out of the corner of my eye, mm-hmm. never in front of me. Right. Anything that might even be a sense of intuitive understanding never comes from directly in front of me. It's always coming from the periphery. Mm-hmm. So it it's interesting hearing about humans as predators, horses as prey, and that very much uh, affects our perceptual systems because of evolution and the way that we've evolved into the creatures that we are. And that, and that with humans, we also have stuff that's in our periphery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's the stuff that's a little harder to talk about. Yeah. Well, and especially nowadays, because everything we're in front of is literally right in front of us. We're so zoomed in on our phones, our tablets, our laptops, our, you know, it's all right within this little area. And so little is out here in the periphery. Um, One of the things I force myself to do when I'm watching the horse move is not to stare at the bad leg, not to stare at the gimpy shoulder, to take in the whole horse with that peripheral, soft, unfocused vision, because that's that's the true horse. And I'm there not just to be of service for that gimpy hawk, I'm to be of service to the whole horse. And I can't see that whole horse with my human arrow-like eyeballs. I think that's wonderful advice for treating any sentient being. Yeah. Sam, I have thoroughly enjoyed this time with you today. Thanks so much for joining me here at Geological. I've loved every minute. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Presence and being are the most challenging parts of practice for me. I'm so easily caught up and swayed by what patients tell me they want and what I think I have to deliver. And of course, the promise in the business of medicine is to take away something that is troubling or to give something that's missing. But beyond that is a sense of encounter beyond the stories and the checklists. And that encounter can help lead us from curing to healing. We are coming up to the 200th episode of Geological. I have been fortunate 
to have had the opportunity to sit down with so many skillful and thoughtful practitioners over the course of the past couple of years and delighted to have been able to create this audio library of conversations on medicine that you won't be able to find anywhere else. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community. Mm -hmm.